you'll reach for your Bible and stand with me as we do our scripture reading this morning. As Pastor Bruce will resume his series, God's Got Questions. We'll be looking at the book of John, so turn to John chapter 6. We'll be reading verses 60 through 69. Once again, that's John chapter 6, verse 60 through 69. As Bruce, Pastor Bruce resumes his series, God's Got Questions, will you also leave me? God's questions that we're going to look at today from the text in John chapter 6, verses 60 through 69. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew it himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your Son. And uh, and we thank you for your word and ask that you would speak to us through Pastor Bruce this morning, that we would have open hearts to learn uh, from from your word and apply it to our lives. And just thank you for for what you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. And thank you, Zach, for leading us in our scripture reading. Appreciate that. As we resume in our series that we've been in for a few weeks, God's Got Questions. Let me just set the stage here kind of give you a little warning what we're going to do today, because it's a little bit different than how uh, I normally preach. Uh, Most of you may know, caught on a little bit, normally we stick in one text, uh, one passage of scripture, try to stay in that and and talk through the topic or subject of the scripture. Today, we're going to start in John chapter 6, and then we're going to bounce over to Luke chapter 9, and then we're going to conclude by going back to John chapter 6. So just give you a heads up, and the reason we're going to do that is because the topic of today's question has to do with commitment, our commitment as followers of Jesus Christ. And again, heads up, a warning, this question will hit you like a ton of bricks. I just tell you that up front. And preparing for this message, it hit me like a ton of bricks as I sat at my office and prepared it. This question is convicting. It's heart penetrating. And so I plead with you, don't turn it off. When it begins to penetrate your heart, I ask, open your heart up to the question that God has for us this morning. He wants to speak to us. He wants to speak to me. He wants to speak to you on this issue of our commitment as followers of Jesus Christ. A few years ago, MSNBC aired a report on TV about a group of new vegetarians. They interviewed one of the new vegetarians, a 28-year-old named Christy Pugh. One of her quotes captures the viewpoint of this new group of vegetarians. She said, I usually eat vegetarian, but I really like sausage. Go figure. She represents a growing number of people who eat vegetarian, but they make some exceptions. They don't eat meat unless they really like it. 
Now, as you can imagine, the real, quote, vegetarians aren't real happy about these new vegetarians. They put pressure on the new vegetarians to change their name. And so here's the name they chose for themselves. Flexitarians. Coming up on the screen. Christy explains it this way, and I quote, I really like vegetarian food, but I'm just not 100% committed to it. Flexitarians. As I watched this report, I realized something. You know, I'm a flexitarian. I eat my vegetables with beef, bacon, and barbecue. I can flex all there is to that. Flexitarians. Now that may describe a group of new kind of vegetarians, but sadly, that's also a good way to describe how many people approach their commitment to Jesus Christ. They call themselves Christ followers. That is, they follow Christ, but they have made some exceptions to it. And so when bacon is on the menu, their commitments can be adjusted to fit their taste. But as we're going to see this morning in our question, following Jesus requires a complete and total commitment. A commitment to follow Jesus is costly. Of course, there are countless benefits to following Jesus, but the time comes when Jesus' teachings And this will be one of them. They make us feel a little uncomfortable. Jesus comes to us in the Gospels, like He does in John 6, and He challenges us in ways that makes us examine our fundamental commitment to follow Him. Such a situation is recorded in our text here in John 6 that Zach read for us. In fact, it begins after Jesus feeds over 5,000 people with five barley loaves and two small fish. And of course, the crowds, they loved the miracle that Jesus performed. But when Jesus began teaching them that this miracle of the feeding of over 5,000 pointed to something much greater, it was a sign, if you will, that pointed to Jesus Christ as the, as the bread of life. That's when the crowds began to change their mind. They began to leave him instead of following him. You could say the crowds embraced a flexitarian approach in their commitment to follow Christ. The turning point comes in John 6, here in verses 66 and 67. Let me read it to you again. It says, from that, many t- from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked away with him walked away from Jesus. And then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? Now we can summarize Jesus' question here to his twelve disciples in this fashion. And I think it's a question that he's still asking us today. Notice it coming up on the screen in your notes. And the question is this, will you leave me or will you follow me? Will you leave me or follow me? Again, this is a question that Jesus is still asking of us today. Will you leave me or follow me? In fact, I think we could paraphrase the question even this way. Are we religious consumers of Jesus, or are we fully committed followers of Him? The crowds in John 6 were really nothing more than 
religious consumers. In our series we did last fall, we, we could call them fans of Christ. Remember we did a series called, Are You a Fan or Are You a Follower? And the crowds here were fans of Jesus. They were religious consumers of Him. Religious consumers view their faith as simply a means of, of self-enrichment, self-satisfaction. Their commitment is based on, hey, what can Jesus add to my life? What can He give me that I desire? But committed followers, on the other hand, they have an entirely different mindset. Their commitment is a response to God's love. It's also a response to their understanding that God has a valid claim on my life. And so therefore, our goal now is not self-satisfaction, but rather it's personal transformation that seeks to honor God as we live in this world. Like the crowds here in John 6. I wonder how many of us here this morning, we would never express it outwardly, but perhaps inwardly, we make conditional commitments as we seek to follow Christ. So the question that Jesus is asking us is still the same question that he asked those crowds in the 12 disciples there in John 6. Will you leave me or will you follow me? And so drawing from the example here of the crowds in John 6, we learn that religious consumers, or we could say fans of Jesus, are characterized by three traits. See if any of these traits might characterize your own life. Number one, Religious consumers are driven by their fleshly desires. In John 6, we read that Jesus had been teaching a crowd of 5,000 men plus women and children. In fact, some scholars believe there could have been as possibly as many as 20,000 people that day listening to Jesus teach them. As mealtime arrived, there were no supplies nearby, so Jesus fed this great multitude by multiplying five barley loaves of bread and two small fish. In fact, this was an amazing miracle. It's, this miracle is it's rather hard for us to even comprehend, get our minds around. We just simply notice the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And yet, think about feeding 20,000 people with only five loaves of bread and two small fish. And you break it and you multiply it. It's an amazing miracle. In fact, there was so much food, they actually had 12 baskets left over. And of course, after a miracle of this magnitude, I know if I would have been there, I would have probably been just like the crowd. They were more than ready to make Jesus their king. And why not? They liked the idea of the free food program that Jesus was offering them. And so they just jumped to the thought of, man, what in the world could Jesus do? If he could do this for us on this afternoon, just think what he could do for us if we made him king. They just think of the multiplication of this miracle over and over in their lives. After all, their agenda was simple. They were hungry physically. Jesus supplied the food, and that was all they needed to crown him. But Jesus isn't interested in politics. His kingdom is not of this world. And so he comes to them in this response. Notice it in verse 15, if you have your Bibles there. John chapter 6, he says, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to a mountain by himself alone. Jesus basically goes antisocial on him. He runs. 
but for a purpose. He runs to get alone with his heavenly Father. Quiet time with him to replenish his soul. Disciples, on the other hand, they took a boat over to the other side of the lake, and following his prayer time on the mountain, Jesus walks across the water to the disciples. Another amazing miracle. But the next morning, the crowd, in search of Jesus, they finally found him on the other side of the lake, and their devotion in seeking him, listen, it would have pleased Jesus if it had arisen from a selfless commitment. But Jesus knew their hearts. They were driven by fleshly desires. And so he tells them in verse 26, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and you were filled. Now what does this mean? Well, it means the crowd came not to know more of Jesus, but to simply get more from Jesus. They were trying to satisfy their hunger for political power and physical pleasure. Why? Because they had missed the sign. They missed the meaning of the sign that the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 pointed to. And that is Jesus is the bread of life that we so desperately need. The point was not mainly that Jesus gives bread to, to satisfy our stomachs. But that Jesus is the bread to satisfy our eternal souls. But the crowd that day, they were blind to this truth. As John Piper puts it, what they did was focus on the product of the miracle, not the person of the miracle. And so the sign seeks to be a sign for them. They were excited about bread as their pleasure, but not Christ as their treasure. And so unlike, like the crowds that day, we too, we will ultimately leave Jesus if we follow him solely for our own fleshly desires. Listen, we need Jesus more than we need a free lunch. We need Him to be the very bread of life for our souls. But religious consumers are driven by their fleshly desires instead. Number two, we learn from the crowd that religious consumers want Jesus on their own terms. You could say the crowds that day were fair-weather followers. That is, they wanted Jesus on their own terms. They wanted to make Jesus king, but they were not thinking so much of surrendering to his will as of feasting on his generosity, what they could get from him. And so when they found out that his kingship had to do with faith and not food, let me tell you, they dropped the crown, dropped it right there, and pew, they're gone. They left him. Crowds didn't like the truth that Jesus was speaking to them. You say, what truth was he talking about? Well, let me give you a little insight on this truth. You can go to your Bibles. You see it here. For example, Jesus says in verse 34 and 35, he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But then notice what he says in verse 35 about these crowds. He says, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. So after hearing this, the crowd began to grumble against Jesus, we're told, because they didn't like what they were hearing. They didn't like the truth that Jesus was speaking to them about. They wanted Jesus on their own terms. And when Jesus wouldn't budge on the truth, they left. They walked away. Now what we learn here is that following Jesus is not a menu 
from which we can just pick and choose from. I know when I go to a restaurant, we look at the menu, and out of all the things I can order, I pick this, I pick that, that, or I maybe just pick one entree, maybe an appetizer, whatever, and you pick and choose. And as customers, consumers, that is our right to do that. We're paying for it. But this following Jesus is not like that. That's not what it's about. It's not a buffet of optional beliefs. And in our age of endless options and the customer's always right mentality, many people find it difficult to accept that we do not set the criteria for salvation. We do not set the criteria for what it means to fully follow Jesus to be committed followers of Him. We may face the fact that we either follow Jesus on His terms or we won't follow Him at all. And so just like the crowd, when the religious consumers, when they don't get what they like or they don't like what they get, they grumble and they ultimately leave Him. And that happens even today in our age. When we come with a consumer mentality to the body of Christ, His church. We don't like what we get. We don't like what's being offered. And so what do we do? We hop from church to church. We go from here to there. We don't like the truth. We don't like how they do this or that. And it flows over into our following of Christ. We leave. Number three, we learn that religious consumers simply go through the motions. Have you figured out how easy it is to go through the outward motions of following Jesus and still keep your heart Far from God. Oh, how easy that is. I call this the Judas factor. Judas went through the motions of following Jesus for three years, but he did so as a pretender. We don't know precisely what Judas' motivations were, why he stayed with Jesus for those three years. John tells us in his gospel that Judas was the treasure for the disciples and that he would skim a little fee off the top for himself. So maybe Judas stayed with Jesus for money reasons. Who knows? For whatever reason, Judas continued to just go through the motions. But Jesus pegged Judas from the very beginning. Jesus tells us in verse 64, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. In the end, Judas was a follower of Jesus in name only. And the danger here is that it's all too easy for us to, to, quote, tolerate a Judas factor in our own lives. To simply go through the motions of following Jesus while still keeping our heart from God. So let me just stop here for a moment. Just, let me just throw out a question for all of us, including myself. Are you just going through the motions of following Jesus such as even coming to worship Him on Sunday mornings. It's just, it's just something you do. It's part of the routine. And yet, when you come, you know your, your heart is not in tune with the one we're worshiping, the one we're hearing from. Is there a part of your life that you're kind of keeping back from the Lord? Because you don't want Him to intervene in that area. You don't want Him to to mess with that area, because you know what the truth will mean if you submit yourself to that truth in that area. Listen, 
Let me encourage Don't tolerate a Judas factor in your life. Now, as we stand back from John chapter 6 here, and it was a big overview, what stands out to me is how many people are leaving Jesus by the end of the chapter. I don't know if you caught that or noticed that. But think about this with me. Thousands of people this day. Some think almost 20,000 are leaving Jesus left and right. Almost everyone who ate the loaves and the fish that day, who witnessed the miracle of Jesus, and most of the so-called disciples or followers of Jesus are abandoning him by the end of the chapter. Why? Because in the end, they were merely what we would call fans of Jesus. Religious consumers of him instead of committed followers of him. And so no wonder Jesus, by the end of John chapter 6, turns to his 12 disciples, although he knows Judas is going to ultimately betray him, part of God's plan, turns to them and he asks, will you also leave me? Or will you follow me? So this question we need is rather heart penetrating. It has relevance for us even today. Now, the question I want to go to now as we follow up on Jesus' question, will you leave me or follow me, is, well, what does this mean? What does it mean to actually follow Jesus Christ and to do so as a fully committed follower of him? Well, there are several places we could turn to in the Bible to answer this question, but I think one of the clearest answers we have in God's Word, specifically in the Gospel, is Luke, Luke chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I think I have the verses in your notes as well. But Luke chapter 9. And I want you to notice one particular verse, and then we'll look at a series of verses at the end of the chapter. But in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, look what it says. Jesus says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. But what does that mean? What does that look like in our lives? Well, Jesus tells us at the end of Luke 9, when he encounters three people who initially seemed very, very eager to follow Christ, but each of them had a a hesitation. They had a reservation about them. In fact, they even had an excuse. Look what Jesus says to them in Luke 9, verses 57 and 62. It says, now it happened as they journeyed on the road, that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Now what's interesting is that we see this word follow three times in these verses. Three times we see the word follow to describe for us what it means, what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ. In verse 57, one person tells Jesus, I will follow you. 
Verse 59, Jesus says to a second person, follow me. And in verse 61, another person comes to Jesus and says, I will follow you. Well, let's be honest. Jesus' response to these three wannabe followers seems rather cold and hard. Right? Yeah, sure it does. I mean, no place to lay your head. Let the dead bury the dead. Put your hand to the plow and don't look back. I mean, what's up with that? So what was Jesus doing in responding the way he did? Well, I think what Christ is doing for these three individuals, and now, today, what he's doing for us is he was teaching and he was testing. Jesus was teaching, and he's teaching us today what it means to follow him. He was teaching that following him will require sacrifice on our part. And specifically, he mentions in the area of our home and our family. And Jesus was also testing to see if we're really serious about following him or are we simply fans of Jesus? Are we simply consumers? And he's testing that. He's testing that that devotion in our hearts. He's testing to see if he himself is really the greatest treasure of our lives. He's testing to see if Jesus is really our joy, our security, and our hope. And yet, don't make these words more difficult than they are. Listen, Jesus is not saying there will never, never, never be a time when you have a bed and pillow and a roof over your head. Jesus is not saying it will always be wrong to care for your parents and be at their funeral. Jesus is not saying if you want to say goodbye to your family and friends, you're unfit to follow me. The point that Jesus is making with these three individuals is that he knows our hearts. He knows our idols. He knows what is competing in our hearts and keeps us from being fully committed followers of Him. And so what Jesus does for these three individuals, as He does for us today, is He raises the issue. He raises the issue and He tells us, here's what it means to follow Me. Let's look at it briefly. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means we're willing to, number one, follow Jesus wherever. We're willing to follow Him wherever. The first person approaches Jesus and says in verse 57, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Now those words certainly sound impressive, don't they? How many of us have ever said that? I mean, this guy seems to understand what Jesus is looking for. He knows the right words to say. He states his commitment to Jesus and says, I will follow you wherever. Sounds like a committed follower to me. No restrictions, no boundaries, no borders, just wherever. But look at verse 58. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now I'm guessing with a bit of a smile, Jesus turns to the person and says, you want to follow me wherever? Okay, I'm homeless. My guess is that this revelation was often a deal-breaker for a lot of people who wanted to follow Jesus. Jesus is making it clear up front that following him won't mean going from town to town, staying at the Jerusalem Inn and ordering room service. Jesus is challenging us to 
In other words, count the cost of following him. This person says, I'll follow you wherever, Lord. And Jesus points to a place that will be a threat to this man's comfort and security and asks, what about there? We're left with the impression that this wannabe follower quickly rescinded his offer. Oh, oh, did I say wherever? Oh, that was just a figure of speech. I didn't think you would take that literally. Again, I don't know about you, but as I look at my own life, it's so easy to speak about following Jesus when you're just kind of making a general statement about it without any specific commitments. Like this first man, we may be rather quick to say, I will follow you wherever, but let's move it from the general to the more specific. Where is the one place you find it most difficult to follow Jesus? If you said to Jesus, wherever, where do you think is the one place he would point to and say, what about there? What about in your own home? What about at work? What about in your neighborhood? What about when you're with old friends and family? You see, this man in Luke 9 was, oh, he was happy to say, wherever, until Jesus said, there. But the most basic definition of a follower of Jesus is someone who goes where Jesus goes. And so I'm not sure how we can call ourselves followers of Jesus if we refuse to go where Jesus went. And so if you follow Jesus wherever, He will take you towards sinners that others don't want to be with. And he will, you will find yourself among the helpless and the hopeless that others try to avoid. If you follow Jesus, quote, wherever, expect to find yourself being criticized. If you follow Jesus wherever, you may find that your family thinks you're crazy. Jesus' family's so good. You may even find yourself being unfairly accused, unjustly treated, and even rejected by others. And ultimately, if you follow Jesus wherever, you won't just end up covered in his dust, you will end up covered in his blood, as Jesus, by the way, was on the very road to Jerusalem. And what was going to take place at Jerusalem? He was going to die on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins with his precious blood. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means we're willing to follow him wherever. And that means Jesus may come to us and ask, Number two, following Jesus means we're willing to follow Jesus whenever. The second man is invited by Jesus to follow him. We don't know much about this man other than the excuse he gave for not following Jesus. And so Jesus says to this man in verses 59 and 60, follow me. But this man said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Now again, this man seems willing to follow Christ. The first word out of his mouth is Lord. Term of respect. But the second word out of his mouth is the word first. So he wants to follow Jesus, but now isn't a good time. And so he tries to offer Jesus an excuse that can put Jesus off for just a little while. But Jesus doesn't seem to be interested in this man's excuse. But I have to tell you, his excuse seems pretty reasonable to me. How about you? I mean, he just wants to have a funeral for his father. So isn't Jesus being a little hardcore here? 
Let the guy go bury his dad. But it should be pointed out, most scholars believe that more than likely this guy's dad is still living, given the Jewish culture of that day. In fact, his dad was more than likely probably in really good health. And so when this man says, let me go and bury my father, it's really just another way of saying, Lord, when my parents die, which could be another 20, 30 years, then I will follow you. Now, like I said, this is, this is hits you like a ton of bricks. So let's be honest here. There's a sense in which most of us resonate with this guy's excuse. It's not that he isn't willing. It's just not good timing. It's not like he's saying no to Jesus. He's just saying not right now to Jesus. So how does Jesus respond to this man's excuse to first go and bury his father? Jesus doesn't say, oh, I understand. Take your time. Jesus didn't say, well, whenever you're ready, I'll be waiting right here. What Jesus said was let the dead bury their own dead. Now, I don't have time to go into this phrase and explain what it means, but in essence, Jesus is saying, let the spiritual dead bury the physical dead. Why? Because the affairs of this world, of this life we live in, the things we touch with our hands, the things we see with our eyes, the things we crave with our hearts, the things of this mundane world, in comparison with the importance of God's kingdom work, are nothing. Jesus is pointing out that the kingdom work of preaching the gospel and reaching the lost with the gospel is much more important. Now at this point, we come face to face with a hard word to hear just like the crowd back in John 6. What we learn here is that our families must not become an excuse for not following Christ. In other words, we can't say, I'll wait until the kids blank, and then I'll follow Jesus. We can't say, I'll wait until my parents blank, And then I'll get on board with serving Christ. No, those excuses are not an option if you're going to become a fully committed follower of Christ. Why? Because on the invitation that Jesus gives to follow Him, there's an RSVP date, and it reads, Today. So when Jesus calls us to follow Him, He means today, not tomorrow. Listen to me. The most dangerous part of following Jesus tomorrow isn't what you will lose between now and then. That's not the worst thing that can happen to you. The worst thing can happen is that tomorrow might never come. Listen, the truth is, the longer you put off Jesus, the more likely it is that following Him will never happen in your life. So today is the day to start following Jesus. Following Jesus also means we're willing to follow Jesus whatever. Whatever. Once again, it appears that someone else is ready and willing to follow Christ. But look what this guy says in verse 61. Lord, I will follow you. But let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Apparently, this guy missed out on the conversation Jesus had with the man who wanted to bury his father. 
This man wants to follow Jesus, but not right at this moment. First, there's that word again. He wants to say goodbye to his family and friends. And so Jesus responds with a lesson in farming to this dude. In verse 62, look what he says. No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. And so what Jesus does for this man, and he does it for us today, is he uses an analogy of someone plowing a field, but instead of giving full attention to his work, what does he do? He keeps looking back, and he keeps hearing sirens. Listen, there's nothing inherently wrong with saying goodbye to your family and friends. The problem here is Jesus knows that this man's request reveals where his heart truly lies. It's not that following Jesus wasn't important to this man, but following Jesus wasn't his most important priority. This man wants to follow Jesus, but not with everything he has. He's not willing to go all in. There's something else that has his affection. And so what does he do? He keeps looking back. Looking back. And looking back means longing back. It means our hearts are divided. Our affections are split. And let me tell you, Jesus doesn't want followers who have divided hearts and split affections. And so Jesus points to what we most value in our lives. He points to what most concerns us. What we care about the most. And He says, what about that? What about that? Listen, we say we want to follow Jesus, but Jesus looks on our heart and He says, what about food? Because after all, there are many, many people here in America who claim to be Christ followers, and yet they turn to food rather than Jesus as their source of comfort and satisfaction. We want to follow Jesus, but Jesus looks in our heart and He says, what about your entertainment choices? We want to be followers of Jesus, but some of us keep looking back to movies and internet sites that fill us with lust and impure thoughts. We say we want to follow Jesus, but we, He looks at our hearts and He says, what about your kids? Because after all, some parents call themselves followers of Jesus, but their lives don't revolve around Jesus. Instead, their lives revolve around their kids. And what we've done, we have focused so much on the family that we have neglected and forgot to focus on Jesus as the Lord of our families. We say we want to follow Jesus, but Jesus looks in our heart and says, what about your money? Because some people find their identity and their self-worth not in being a follower of Christ, but in money and the things that money can buy. Listen, Jesus wants you to follow Him. He wants to share Himself as the bread of life for you. The source of your life. But He won't share you. He will settle for nothing less than our undivided attention and complete commitment. And so here's the question for us to consider this morning. What is it that is competing for your affection? What is it that is competing for your allegiance to Christ? Listen, you may have actually both hands on the plow. But what is it that you keep looking back at, that you keep longing for? Until you have really surrendered everything over to Jesus. Until you have truly 
put Him above all else in your life, you will not know the joy and the satisfaction that finally comes when you go all in as a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. As we close, let's go back to John 6. And let's reconsider Jesus' question one last time. The question he throws out to us this morning is, will you leave me or will you follow me? And as I said at the beginning, there's no doubt, this question hits you like a brick. It knocks you off balance. And it makes you rethink your life as a Christ follower. And that's the point of the question. That's the purpose of the question. And perhaps there's some of you this morning, you're sitting there in the pew, and within your heart there is reluctance to go all in and surrender everything in order to follow Christ. Perhaps you're even afraid of what you'll lose. But Jesus says, do you believe me? Do you trust me? Then come follow me. Listen, trading everything we have for all that Jesus offers is the best deal we could ever make in this life and for the life to come. As Jim Elliott said, who was the missionary who gave his own life trying to reach the Alca Indians of Ecuador, he once put it this way. In fact, I had this quote written in my Bible by these very verses we read here in Luke 9. I wrote it when I was just a young man in my 20s when I first heard it. And to this day, there are times I go back to that quote when I find myself getting caught up in this consumer mentality of following Christ. That quote is this, listen to the words, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Why follow Christ? Why surrender everything? Why commit your life to follow Him? Because only Jesus is worth following. That's the whole point of Jesus' miracle in John chapter 6. Jesus is worth following. But the crowds that day in John 6, they missed it. They refused to believe it. And so they left Jesus. But I love Peter's response to Jesus' question in John 6, verses 68 and 69. Look at it. But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Peter figured it out. It's as if Peter has checked out all his options and they've all come up empty. And so now he says to Christ, Lord, there's nobody else to go to. There's nobody else to turn to. Who else is there? And then he states his reason. Look at it. You, Lord, have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In other words, here's what Peter's saying. Peter believes Jesus is worth following. He believes Jesus is the bread of life and He speaks the words of life. Therefore, Jesus is everything you need for eternal life and a satisfying life in this world now. The question is, do you believe it? And so I end with this. Following Jesus as a fully committed follower of Christ. You know what? It's really just a belief issue. In some ways, you can strip it all away and it just comes down to that. It's a belief issue. Do I really believe with all my heart 
that Jesus is worth following? Do I believe Jesus is everything I need for eternal life and a satisfying life? If you do, then you will follow him like Peter and the rest of the disciples. But if you don't, then you will end up leaving him just like the crowds did in John chapter 6. Let's pray. Before we pray, let me, let me just ask. You know, Jesus comes with a question. And normally questions deserve an answer. Jesus' question is, will you leave me or follow me? So I ask, what's your answer to Jesus' question? Today, right now, at this moment, what is your answer? If Jesus was standing here asking you personally, if he was sitting right next to you, Tom, Mary, will you leave me or follow me? How would you answer Christ? What would your answer be to him? Listen, if you're ready to follow Jesus, then I encourage you to express your commitment to him in prayer. Let Jesus know that you're willing to follow him wherever, whenever, and whatever. Tell him that in our response time. Maybe you've considered yourself a Christ follower for many years. But now you're coming to realize that, man, you know, if I have to be honest with myself, I'm more like the crowds in John 6. I encourage you to ask God to forgive you for being just a fan, a consumer, and recommit yourself to being a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. As the praise team sings, I invite you to do business with God as he leads you.